two, one. Welcome back to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. This is going to be part two of our 10-year Mark Bergevay analysis. Before we begin with uh, the 2017-2018 year, we have a small update from our previous podcast. We had a slight error. Jesse, do you want to elaborate? Yeah, it came to our attention that we said uh, the Habs had acquired Eric Cole for Michael Ryder in a third in, I believe, Mark Bergevin's first year with the Canadians. And that's my fault for writing it wrong, but it's actually the Habs were acquiring Michael Ryder back with that third for Eric Cole. So it doesn't really change much. It was, uh, you know, Eric Cole had term on his contract and Michael Ryder was done that year. So it was the same kind of idea of just bringing someone in for the year. Yeah, but thank you guys for bringing that up. That uh, We would have missed that. So starting with the 2017-2018 year, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to start with the draft. Um, so in the 2017-2018 year, the Montreal Canadiens took uh, 25th overall Ryan Paling. Uh, we took Josh Brook in the second round, we took Kale Fleury in the third round, and we took Caden Primo in the seventh round. Just to give you guys some um, some background there, the 2017 NHL entry draft uh, was the Nico Heischer year. Um, you know, him going first overall, then we see Nolan Patrick, Piero Heiskanen, Kale McCarr, Elias Pettersson, uh, Cody Glass, etc. So it was a pretty decent draft year. Uh, what do you think of our picks? Yeah, I think that um, you know, obviously knowing how the future is going to pan out, I think this was the first turning point in terms of drafting for the Habs. I still think, you know, this is probably the in-between period this year in terms of their drafting strength because we still see, you know, Ryan Paling and Josh Brook being the first two picks there early round. You know, they still have an upside to them, but when you compare it to Kale Fleury and Caden Prima who came after, um, in terms of NHL experience, you know, we see already Caden Primo's looking like we're grooming him to be the next starter. Kale Fleury definitely has, you know, good NHL upside. He's a very physical player. I'd love to see uh, what happens between him and Romanov at one point. But, um, you know, Josh Brook has high, high, high offensive upside. And Ryan Paling could be, you know, a bottom six guy. He has top six potential, in my opinion, still. I just don't think he's going to be that, you know, superstar player that we thought he was off his hat-trick at, you know, in his first game and his World Juniors performance. Hat-trick and a shootout goal. And a shootout goal, exactly. But, um, yeah, I think this was a better draft. You know, to hit on four guys in one draft yeah. is better than we were doing before. How about you? Yeah, going deeper into the first round, I mean, obviously we had a high pick with 25th. Um, after that, you know, the only guy I can really see, you know, with hindsight being twenty twenty, is maybe Morgan Frost. Uh, in Philadelphia Um, you know strong player there but you know not a you know a clear winner we have Jake Ottinger going 26th with Dallas Uh, you know Shane Bowers with Ottawa going 28th Uh, you know then after that kind of just drops off into the second round so you know I think that was a good pick with with uh, you know what we were looking at center wise around the time Um, you know it's obviously tough to see Ryan Paling struggle now I think he's going to develop well in the AHL Um, you know there's clearly not a roster spot for him he's not you know, bumping out Evans, Kotkaniemi, or Suzuki, obviously. Uh, and I think, you know, of all of those three guys, I think, you know, Paling would do best developing in the AHL. I was going to say, if I just, we could just kind of divert from the Bergevin thing for a minute. I think there are certain players, you know, every every prospect develops differently. And I think that, you know, for example, someone like um, Suzuki, 
he was much better to be playing in junior where the you know he was the top of the you know top of the league and then come right into the NHL in a lesser role. You know, in his rookie season, we saw him playing the fourth fourth line for over half the season and just kind of work in the NHL because it wasn't an issue of the you know the pace of the game or the uh you know the hockey IQ. It was just kind of getting used to the NHL. With a guy like Kotkaniemi or a guy like Paling, as we saw with Kotkaniemi when he got sent down, it really does sometimes come down to the physicality of it. And the AHL really, for me, uh, that's that's just what it's meant for is get you used to playing professional hockey, but with you know heightened physicality, which is why I was not totally for a guy like Romanov joining the AHL because he already plays with a mean streak, and I think that for him again it was you know very similar to Suzuki in terms of he just needs to get on the ice and play. Yeah, I think there's there's clearly some players that you know you send them down there and it kind of just stifles their drive. Um, you know, guys that get their drive stifled down there, like you said, you know, like I see Nick Suzuki, you know, Kotkaniemi, um, you know, even to, you know, to an extent, Cole Caulfield, I think would do not too well in the AHL. Um, you know, not an overly physical player. So like he could learn some of the the physicality there, but again, like he's not going to have that role in the Habs. So I don't know how useful that would be. Whereas, you know, it might've been more useful for Ryan Paling considering he's going to play a bottom six position, uh, a little bit more of a physical role. Um, you know, we don't really need Cole Caulfield to be uh, what he's not, essentially, right? I Same thing with Romanov. Agree. I mean, with Romanov, it goes the other way. You know, he just has nothing to learn down there. Yeah. You know, he just, he has the he's physicality. played professional in, yeah. for two years. Exactly. But yeah, okay, so I think overall drafts were, you know, getting there much better than yeah, prior again, years. Yeah, again, we see better deep drafting yeah. i mean but at least some promise in josh brook and Ryan yeah Palin. Sure. much not complete losses years. just yet um okay yeah moving on to the signings that year uh we'll get to how they acquired jonathan drew in a minute but uh jonathan drew getting a six-year uh 5.5 million dollar per year deal right after being acquired um you know that magic number six comes in and I think that shows there was a lot of commitment towards Druin early on. They saw him as someone who could be, you know, that game breaker for us. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if everyone remembers, but I know you and I do. He was playing center that first year, and that, yeah, was, that just was just abysmal. The last time he played center was, I think, you know, like junior hockey, maybe even before. I think he played a little in Halifax, but I don't think, you know. Looking now, the contract seems to have panned out for the last few years. He's kind of found his role in the team, but I don't I don't know if that was more of a um, commit him to a long term deal because he had let's say like loyalty issues at the time. You know, being bounced up and down through the AHL through a Tampa Bay system, but um, I was very surprised to see he wasn't getting more of a uh, you know two year kind of bridge deal that we normally see from a player who, you know, a young player who's been acquired like that. Yeah, I think it was a bit more of a desperation move for Mark Bergevin. I mean, we had really, you know, really abysmal center depth. Uh, we didn't have people to physically pay, play the position at that point. Um, I think with Jonathan Druin, you know, we're like we said, we're going to get to the trade in a second, but, you know, giving up a piece as big as we did, I think Mark Bergevin kind of, you know, was pressured to kind of double down on what he got because giving up a piece like that, it, it's tough to not lock it down. God forbid he walked or something in a few years. Or, you know, with the potential that Druin had back then, um, 
you know, it would be it would be bad if we gave him a bridge. He really broke out, and then we're looking at a huge contract. So I think it was all in all a good signing, and it obviously aged very well because he's playing great now. Yeah. Um. Just now that I'm thinking about what you're saying about the uh, AHL versus NHL, the next contract is uh, Charles Udon at the time getting a two year six hundred and fifty k per year deal. Um. That's a guy who's a perfect example of. I think we may have turned him into a grinder when he's a mm-hmm. sniper. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, you, I think he comes up another time later in the, uh, in the discussion down the line. But, you know, all these contracts, two years at seven, uh, you know, whatever he had the last contract, another two years at 650K. It's, I understand you have to earn your contracts, but it also just, you know, it really seems as though they have no faith in him. And I understand why every single year... There's, you know, arbitration contract uh, talks with the Habs, and then there's qualifying offers, and it's never been just, you know, a standard just sign on the dotted line with Charles Udon. And I, I do feel for the guy, but at the same time, like I said, you have to earn your contract. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of, I'm on both sides of this argument. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he never really got, you know, a super fair tryout. Um, you know, we kind of give him a few games here and there, like, with our injuries, um, which like I don't really you know, obviously now it's a very different situation with him, um, you know, not being in the system. Yeah, he's but, he's playing in Europe and yeah. he's on the reserve list. But you know, that's the thing is I think it it was better to just let him walk because you know I don't think those, you know, tryouts every you know ten twenty games would would happen now with how deep of a team we are. Uh, so I think it was probably better to not kind of just like leave him hanging. You know. No, I agree. I think there's a certain point where. You know, and we'll see this actually later on where there's, you know, parting ways is actually a win-win. You know, no team or no player are, you know, getting the negative sides. Um, sometimes it's just not a good fit. Yeah. Speaking of bad fits, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next contract was the doozy. Uh, Carl Alsner, five years at 4.625 mil Yeah, I'm just going to say this now. I fucking crucified Jesse for praising <laughs> this. I knew, you know... Obviously, I didn't have a crystal ball, but I knew this guy's best years were behind him. And, you know, it's not so much the money, although it is to a point, but it was the length of the contract. It's like, you know, five years, we're approaching that magic six with Mark Bergevin. I really did not see what he saw in this guy. I mean, like, I, I, I know what he saw, like, you know, three years prior, but, you know, it's just not the same so- guy. Yeah, I'll come to my own defense on this and just start by saying I was completely wrong. But I thought Carl Alsner was going to be that perfect player with Jeff Petrie. I thought that this was the guy who, you know, I, I didn't know enough about Alsner at the time. My, my you know, most vivid memories really were two things. was just him on Washington and him on the World Juniors. And, you know, I'm looking at this guy. He was a late 20-year-old uh, you know, fifth overall pick, you know, I was like, oh, wow, we really got, like, finally a left D who could even maybe, like, surprise us and jump up and play with Weber. Um, he, he, he's not good. Yeah, you see, like, <laughs> he's it, just again, not... like, I, I didn't think he was going to be that bad, to be fair, like, I didn't have a crystal ball, I just, I knew his best years were behind him, especially not playing in a system like Washington with, like, all that firepower they have up front and, like, you know, us really struggling uh, in our top six, but, you know, I didn't expect him to, like, do that catastrophically to the point where we scratched him for David Schlemko. Right. Like, that. that's when it's getting yeah, bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And you know what? Like, I'll, I'll just kind of fast forward here. This is... 
I really thought we were going to be signing a guy like we have now with Joel Edmondson. That's what I thought his game was like. Um, and it just goes to show you got you kind of got to do your research on a player before you take a stance. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's not much else to say. You know, we, we never heard a bad word from him, though. He, you know, in his late 20s when he's getting essentially perpetually benched. And he was a positive light the whole way through. Apparently very big team guy. So, um, you know, he I'm sure he's wonderful to talk to and just a great presence. But I, it is unfortunate that that much money and how it ended with a buyout. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually really like to talk to Carl Alsner and like kind of, you know, in a non, uh, non-dickish non way. Yeah, of course. No, like really him, yeah, talk to him. Like just really talk to him about like what wasn't gelling in Montreal mm-hmm. because like, you know, like I said again, like I didn't expect him to produce like what he was producing in Washington or play defensively like he did in Washington with like all those players around him, which like we just didn't have in 2017. But I didn't expect him to be like, you know, it looked like he had never played hockey. Well, yeah, it looked like he was con- like just constantly injured and he wasn't. Yeah. That was, was the biggest yeah. issue. Um, okay, I'm going to jump past that next contract for one second. Uh, the next contract we have is Alex Galchenyuk getting three years at $4.9 million. Um, that's another distrust contract. That's which, exactly yeah. what it shows me is that we're like, we have to pay him more because the last one was, I believe, 2.8. Yeah. Um, but three years, just shy of five mil. Um, I mean, that that's another thing with two with Bergevin. I noticed there's a lot of, you know, he doesn't typically give round numbers. It's very weird. You know, we'll see, you know, and we've seen a couple already, but he, he really does have these weird contract numbers for some reason. But, you know, 4.9 mil at three years tells me um, this is his last contract on the Montreal Canadiens unless, you know, a miracle happens and he has a 40-goal season because I think this was to make him tradable. Yeah, That's what it comes yeah. down to. I think it was making him tradable in, in the environment that he was, uh, you know, the social circumstance, circumstances around Alex Galchenyuk were ramping up. Uh, you know, the problem with his social circle, getting involved with the Habs organization, which is completely unprofessional. Um, the behavior of his agent at the time was, was really bad. Um, you know, this was just a contract, you know, kind of hold him over for a bit till we could shop him around. And this is around again, where we started to hear the Olimata um, yeah. rumors. What, am I going crazy or was his father, his agent at the time? Was, yeah. Okay. It was him. Um, yeah. And then this is the contract that I had jumped over cause I wanted to save it for the end. Um, Carey Price, eight years, 10.5 million per year. That's a commitment. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's above Mark Bergevin six. Obviously, that's just maxing out. I I want to talk about this one just for a little bit because from day one I've been a Carey Price supporter and I still am. I still think wholeheartedly he's one of the best goalies in the league. Um, you know, a lot of people give him flack throughout the years. I you know I do think there are times where he could have been better. But I also think he took the steps in these recent years to get better. You know, he he did have that stint where he came out and talked about his um it was his it was chronic fatigue or was it chronic uh, headaches or something. There was something with yeah, I think it was, it was fatigue. something. It was something regarding basically the fact that you know he was we overworked. never yeah he was overworked. You know, we had so much we'd placed so much pressure on the guy, and you know. It leads good. It leads well into what we were talking about last week with like how do we play Carey Price because, you know, it's important how we play Carey Price and it's important in my opinion to be proactive with his rest because, you know, this is a guy who has historically 
gotten overworked and got to the point where you know he literally just can't play and he had multiple injuries to the same area and then the big thing i was going to mention too is like he took the time to take care of himself you know like it was i think it was a year ago now where he came back and people were like wow he got in really great shape yeah and basically i think that he really realized you know he has the talent he has the work ethic he has everything he possibly needs but it was you know, it was more on the organization to give him the support he needed, which we finally will get soon, um, you know, soon being a couple of years down the line. Yeah, and, but, you know, going specifically to his contract, um, you know, it is a, an insane amount of money. And if, if you look historically, especially in, you know, recent, uh, you know, the last 10, 15 years, there's really not many teams that have won the Stanley Cup who have play, paid a player more than 10 mil. I mean, Especially it's just, a goalie. Yeah, it, it's just non-existent. I mean, you go, you know, Washington, you know, Ovechkin's not over 10. Yeah. Um, you know, you, it's hard to find teams with that. With yeah, that we had one outlier there where we said the Blackhawks yeah, when they was, had Taze and Kane. Yeah, but... that's the one outlier. And then, you know, other than that, you kind of need to spread the wealth a little bit. But the same time 2017 carry price like what did you want Bergeron to do i mean well, like, exactly someone we all was knew gonna it was offer coming. him that i mean like that's know. the thing we knew it was coming he was you know on top of the world he'd broken every pro- like possible you know individual record you yeah. could think of and i'm not upset by it i'm just i you know there's always that bit of me that said you know oh maybe you know he went from 6.5 to 10.5 maybe if he went to 8.5 yeah. that's 2 mil more in the salary cap to sign you know a defenseman <laughs> yeah or you know a goalie to back him up or another yeah. goalie exactly so i mean that's really it for the you know notable contract so i will jump into the one big trade that year and that's acquiring jonathan Druin from tampa bay for mikhail sergachev and it's it's worth noting that there were trades uh in the trade there were picks exchanged as well with conditions but both teams didn't meet those conditions so no picks really went either way so what this really came down to is just Druin for Sergachev one for one and I think if I had to take back one trade in Mark Bergevin's career it might be this one and you know I love Jonathan Druin for what he brings to the Habs but I just think you know Mikhail Sergachev just brings that extra bit and you know if I think about the decor right now even if it was you know Sherratt and Weber and then Sergachev and Petrie, and then Edmondson and Romanov. That would just be, in, you know, it would, yeah. if our D wasn't good now, it'd be even better. Yeah, I, you know, I the trade was a little, left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth back then, just because I knew the struggles that we were having on D. I mean, those struggles were, you know, nothing compared to the struggles we had on our center depth. Um, but this looked at the time sort of just like a, a patchwork solution to not having a centerman. I mean, this is the time when everyone was jumping down Mark Bergevin's throat uh, for not being in, like, you know, the Tavares sweepstakes and all that stuff. But, you know, he he made a point in saying, like, you know, you can't really get these guys. Like, you have to draft them because, you know, John Tavares goes where John Tavares wants to go. You know, it's not really a, uh, you know, it's not always, like, a money issue with these guys. You know, like Sometimes they, it's a city issue. It's yeah. a city issue, and, you know, it's not always easy to find the perfect fit for, for Montreal. Uh, you know, very intense fan base. Um, you know, unless you're from Montreal, there's not, like, a, you know, there's other original six teams yeah. if you're really into that. But There's the tax situation, which some yeah. players do care about. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Jonathan Druin, I think, especially if you look at his play now, there's probably no worse position for him than center. I mean, like, the, yeah. you know, he has 
you know, this year, you know, I've been critical of Jonathan Druin, but, you know, I'm, I am quite happy with how he's playing right now. Um, I think he's a solid wing to play with Suzuki, and he's clearly a, a playmaker, but, you know, we put him in a role that just did not fit his play because, you know, in 2017, 2018, and just up until recently, he's had problems back-checking. Uh, there's times where he's on the ice where, you know, I swear he's not even trying. You know, he looked like, you know, like Pierre-Luc Dubois did in that last... Uh, that last shift with Tortorella, yeah. you know, and I, it would drive me nuts. So, you know, putting him in a center position where, you know, he has to get back, uh, you know, to get in the play defensively. And it takes no... away from his offense Yeah, as well. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't do what he does, and what he does is he does, you know, nice passes. Yeah, he distributes. Um, and... He distributes, and, you know, he has a good role in the power play, but, you know, it's it just put him in a bad situation, and I'm happy he's just, you know, in his uh, element right now. Yeah, I also wanted to say, I think the part that stung the most was, you know, we traded Ryan McDonough before letting him even put the sweater on. And then we watched him go on to be the captain of the New York Rangers, get moved to Tampa and play, you know, phenomenally, just won a cup. I mean, if you really think about it too, having McDonough and Sergeyev on the Tampa Bay Lightning at the same yeah. time, is just, that stings like crazy because... There it is. I mean, I I completely forgot to even say that. But imagine McDonough, Weber, yeah, and then Sergachev, Petri. That'd be insane. But either way, I mean, it's neither here nor there. You know, it's hindsight. But I think not learning from because we 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 basically gave Sergachev less than you know ten games to play before moving him, and everyone knew this kid was gonna be good. Like he, you know, we took him ninth overall, and you know it, it's. You know, when Mark Bergman says you can't find these guys, you can't you have to draft them. I mean, a top left-hand D potential is the same thing. In general, a puck-moving defenseman like that, you know, he's a big kid. He knows how to play the game. And, like, it's just hard to see him have, you know, like, I'm happy he's having success. But it is hard to see, like, you know, not even giving him a chance. Yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said with, like, all organizations across the board in the NHL is, like, invest in your scouting then just be patient. Like, just yeah. stop fucking around and just, like, let them develop and, like, watch your prospects that you scouted, you know, supposedly properly grow because, you know, there's there's so many examples of just trading these guys away before they even hit the ice, you know? Exactly. So, you know, the Habs would finish with a record of 29-40-13. Sixth in the Atlantic Rough. Division. Yeah, and Brendan Gallagher being the point leader with 54 points oh. in 82 games. The Habs would miss, miss the playoffs. I mean, this is the year Paul Byron played center for us. Yeah, this was this was this I was think, a throwaway year. <laughs> I think this was like the trough that everyone thinks about when they think of like those bad years. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, as we'll see, this really was a turning point. Yeah, because the Habs would go on to you know jump up in the lottery of the entry draft, getting third overall, and selecting Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Yeah, do you which... remember watching that? that uh that lottery that's uh, what i wanted when they're to talk taking about. the balls out yeah my god was that because you know this was a draft where there was definitely a lot on the line you know like yeah. rasmus dalin was very highly touted coming in he, yeah. he absolutely did, slaughtered the world juniors um you know we really Svechnikov wanted was there but i mean i wanted dalin more than anything because that yeah. was exactly what we needed but you know what this i do want to talk about this draft for a little bit um Kotkaniemi was also a bit of a polarizing figure. I mean, I remember that woman on TV with her jaw hanging open when we picked him. It, it was, it's weird because he's clearly a good pick. 
you know, it's that we didn't miss. But do I think we needed him at third? Like, is he a definite third? Well, that's the yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It, it's not so much the pick because, like, I agree. You know, getting, you know, we can talk about. You know, when you have a top five pick, you should probably draft. You know, not based on position. You should draft based on like the skill cap of the, of the player. But you know, the Montreal Canadiens were in a very particular situation with our center situation. Um, so if we really did decide on Yasperi Kotkaniemi, who you know wasn't you know in most scenarios not even in the top ten, you know we could have definitely traded down. Yeah. And still got him. You know, if you want to be safe and trade down to like eighth or seventh, like that's still a possibility. And you could still get a massive amount of yeah, stuff for, for sure. the third overall pick. Because like Brady Kachuk went fourth. People exactly. were killing for him. Yeah. I mean, that's a player that, you know, again, looking back, like, would I have rather take Brady Kachuk third? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. I, I yes. might, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's that, that's just one issue that I had with it. Less so about taking Kotkaniemi because I think that's someone who, you know, we might have struck gold in terms of a power forward. But I do think we could have traded down, and I wouldn't have been surprised if we traded down. Um, this was just an all-around good draft. I mean, there was a lot of guys, and going forward, it's a little too close to present day to say, like, it's a win or a loss for the most part. So in general, like, you know, most of the guys we're going to mention going forward anyway haven't played yet. I just think that they show promise and their names are out there. So, I mean, second round pick in Romanov, no one who knew who this was when we made the pick. Mm. It was an off-the-board pick. He wasn't in the second round for most scouts. But then he goes and he wins top defenseman in the World Juniors that year. Um, we clearly see that he was a good pick now. But, um, you know, it was a bit of a risk by Bergevin, especially off such a bad year. You'd kind of want to see safer picks. Uh, and then the third round, Jordan Harris. That's another defenseman. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of names from the uh, prospect check-in podcast that we did earlier this week. But, um, yeah, those three guys really stand out. And the reason why they stand out is because that's a first, a second, a third round pick. The Habs hit the nail on the head three picks out of three rounds. I know there was guys in between, but um, early rounds, getting good players, that's a sign of, you know, a change in the tide a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely, a, you know, a better scouting year in general. I mean, I think something must have changed. I mean, I didn't look into it, but in terms of scouting, you can just tell, like, with whatever we were looking at prior to 2017, 2018, um, you know, something changed. I mean... I don't know if they fired a bunch of people, fired a bunch of people, or hired a bunch of people, or a mix of both. But um, you know, clearly we we got our shit together, and you know, yes, very Kotkaniemi again, great pick. I absolutely love him. I mean, he's one of my favorite players on the Habs right now. Great work ethic. All my only point is is that you know we could have taken him ninth or tenth and and gotten a lot back for that. No, definitely. Um, yeah, there's not much else I could say about it, but it'll be a trend going forward in the drafts that we we just have better picks but you know that being said going back to the year before it's nice to see that you know maybe we learned from from uh sergikev and like you know all those prospects like our big prospects like kakiemi and romanov they're you know we're developing them yeah we gave well we gave romanov almost two and a half years to develop we almost didn't though because apparently we offered kakiemi for pierre dubois right that's true you know we could have fucked that up too yeah that's very true that's why i wasn't really for this trade in general just because you know i i I don't see that history of us um you know working out especially with a huge question mark over cocking head on 
just how uh, you know special this guy is. Um, going into the signings, you know that was a year where um, you know we signed Max Domi to a two-year, uh, three point one five million dollar contract. Uh, we saw UL Armia uh, a one-year contract for one point eight five mil. Uh, we also saw Philip Dano with three years at three point oh eight three mil. Uh, and we also saw Paul Byron. Uh, we signed him for a four-year contract for $3.4 million. Um, what do you think of the Max Domi one? All right, well, I think that was a typical tryout deal. That was, uh, you know, we, I mean, we're going to get into it how he showed up on the team. But Domi was basically unproven at the time. I think that was basically, yeah, it was just a gamble Mark Bergevin was willing to make and you know his stint in Montreal proved that it was a it was a good gamble for yeah. the most part. I think it was a win, but um, yeah, you don't overpay on someone like that, and you also don't uh, underpay. He had like was that his like seventy point year? Yeah, he yeah. had a he had seventy two points in eighty two games. Yeah, so you know like he that. obviously played extremely well, and you know I think, uh, you know any team out there would be out of their mind not to pay a seventy two point getter for three three point one five mil. Um, you know, I think it was just came out of nowhere though. It came out of, yeah, came out of nowhere. So like obviously hindsight applies there, but you know, with Max Domi's production, I think 3.15 was, was pretty accurate, especially for, again, our center situation we were in. We needed guys to play the position. Um, Well, uh, Arizona had been wasting him on the wing and this was just a chance to give him a big market. You know, he grew up watching his dad in Toronto yeah. And it it just it was a good fit for the time. Yeah. Um the Armia contract was That's a tryout. Yeah. That was a trial. One year at just under two mil. That worked out. That worked yeah. out very well. Uh Dano, that was another I I don't think there was distrust. I think it was again similar to the last contract, just building up. I don't think yeah. you want to overcommit to a defensive player, but I think you wanna show him like, you know, some money. I, yeah, I also see with that Deno contract, you know, in 2018-2019, we saw Bergevin kind of, you know, looking out for a superstar. You know, we had a bunch of rumors going around. Uh, it was a pretty big UFA year. Okay. And, you know, I think he was maybe willing to spend a lot of money on somebody. Right. Um, so maybe he wanted to just keep Deno a little low for now in, uh, you know, the event that something came across his table that he'd have to shell out a lot of money for. Yeah, it's a smart and it's, it's a, just a good, you know... Foresight to Dano being there and you know we're gonna see he had a few centers in the system at that point where he didn't want to lose a young centerman to being over the cap um and the Paul Byron signing I mean you know that's that's a loyalty signing um he may be a little bit of an overpay but Paul Byron is you know he's so integral to the team that is just that's I'm okay with that yeah he you know whatever he you know I think four by three would be would have been a little bit more realistic. Probably more but, ideal. Yes. You know, Paul Byron, I'd give him that extra four hundred thousand, uh, even if it's U.S. dollars, um, <laughs> just for the guy's versatility. You know, yep. I mean, that guy could play literally any position. And he has. We've put him everywhere. Yeah, we've put him everywhere. And the the important part with Bergevin, I can tell you right now, is that he doesn't bitch about it. Yeah, that's he, a, he, he's, he's Paul just Byron, puts his head down. Yeah, he works. does what he's told. And he, you know, just does his best. And, you know, that's what Bergevin likes. You see that with Lekkonen. You see that with Byron, you know. And so that, yeah, it is a bit of a loyalty contract. Yeah. So going to the trades, um, obviously, how did we get Max Domi? We traded Alex Galchenyuk one for one straight up for Max Domi. I'm pretty sure that was the trade that went through at, like, you know, the dead of night, like just before midnight where yeah. 
we like both woke up to our phones there and it it was just a very weird one and i think it was because of arizona oh is that okay yeah it's the time zones okay and i just think that it was a very weird trade it was you know i didn't know how to feel yet because you look at the stats and you were giving away you know galchenyuk at the time was the only guy who was putting the puck in the net on the power play um other than weber but um we were taking on a very big risk i found yeah and you know you knew what you had in galchenyuk even if it wasn't great you knew what you had yeah it was just you know magic box kind of Mm. yeah no i agree i just think i was just so happy to see that asshole go i mean like (laughs) that he caused so many problems like you know just his social circle alone in in the Habs organization he wreaked havoc Mm -hmm. okay and i hate when there's problems surrounding a player specifically off the ice because you know there's so many integral issues with our team back then on the ice you know everything was just in shambles but to just add on this extra you know awkwardness in the locker room and this extra pressure of like having like daddy come negotiate your contracts for you like it's just so immature and like I was just happy to see that guy go. And, you know, Max Domi brought a lot of positive energy to the team. Yeah. And it just fan felt... favorite instantly. Fan favorite. It just felt complete polar opposite to Alex Galchenyuk. And it's just a... It was a nice change for me. No, and I, I think overall we'd say we'd win that trade because, sure, we moved on from Domi, but by the time we'd moved on from Domi, Galchenyuk had been passed around to two teams. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm completely okay. And... Now we have another trade, which I still think is one of Mark Bergman's, you know, sneakiest, best deals that he's made. Uh, he traded Simon Bork for just a slew of things from Winnipeg. He got Yoel Armia, he got Steve Mason, he got a 2019 7th, which turned out to be Karen Ryshinsky, and a 2024th, which we took Jack Smith. Um, so I just want to break this down a little. Uh, the main piece, obviously, being Armia... Um, he wanted Army for a long time. Bergevin had uh, inquired and kind of prodded a little for, we know quite some time about him, and we we can see why now. He's a, he's a Swiss Army knife, that guy. He's a power forward. He can score goals. He can kill penalties. Uh, he's a mentor, but he's not, you know, 35. Yeah, and he's he, just, he's just a guy you want on your team. Yeah, he, he fits exactly that Mark Bergevin role again. I mean, like, it's the Paul Byron, it's the Arturi Lekkinens. He's, you know, he could play wherever he, we need him to play. He's got silky hands, and he also just doesn't bitch about it again. Yeah. I mean, like, he'll he'll play where he needs to play. He'll pay, play on the power play, which, you know, he's not right now, but he'll play on the penalty kill, which he's absolutely killing for us. But then he'll also just randomly go and have these, like, streaks where you get two goals a night, and it's just, it's great. And, it, you know, I find specifically with Armia, he scores when we really need him to score. Yep. Do you notice that? No, especially, he's a very clutch player. Yeah, especially last playoffs, there was, there was a few games where, you know, we just couldn't get the puck in the net again. And, like, I remember we uh, we beat uh, Pittsburgh. I forget what the score was. I think it was 2-1 or 2 nothing, and he had both goals. Yeah. And, you know, just locked it down for us. And, you know, absolutely integral on the on the penalty kill. I mean, he takes a lot of the minutes off of Lekkanen now, who was, like, almost double shifting at that point. Um, you know, just a great move. And uh, Steve Mason bought out. Instantly, that was the main move, right? That was Bergevin flexing his capital a little. Um, the only reason we got Armia was because we were willing to take on Steve Mason for a year and buy yeah. him out. That was just that was a very you know cap conscious move, and it was genius. And the picks, honestly, I 
I don't know why they threw the picks in as well, but I mean, Jack Smith is a guy who looks promising. Kieran Roshensky, I don't know much about, but you know, a pick's a pick, you never yeah. know. And uh, no, I think just great trade all around. Um, now we come to probably the, f- you know, fan favorite pick of Mark Bergevin's career. Uh, Montreal would send Max Pacioretty retaining about 450k in salary for Thomas Tatar with 500k retained, Nick Suzuki and a 2019 second round pick which would turn out to be Sam Fajemo. And I think this trade is one of those trades that just, you know, Vegas fans would say we fleece them. And then Montreal fans would say we fleeced them. And I, I wanted to bring this up because we were mentioning kind of parting ways like Charles Udo. Um, this was a win-win, but I have to say I think the Habs came out a little bit on top. Yeah, I think, you know, that year, you know, that's even debatable. But, you know, I think consensus, you know, maybe that year they won the trade. Uh, Max Pacioretty was, you know, scoring goals for them like they desperately needed. Um, but you know, Thomas Tatar ended up having a very good year, Yeah. you know, much better than he was having there. I think he was kind he of had in a limbo. horrible time in Vegas. Yeah. He, he was, he was healthy in limbo. Scratch. Yeah. He was healthy scratched. He was just in limbo. I don't think he was, you know, he just wasn't, obviously wasn't very happy. And they there. paid a lot for him. Yeah. They, they did, offered yeah. a first, a second and a third to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. I think he just, you know, he just wasn't happy there clearly, but he's thriving here and you know, just, you know, Tatar is our point leader. Yeah. You know, and like not in like the uh, you know the twenty seventeen era Gallagher fifty points leading the team. I mean, like you know Tatar is like basically a seventy point guy. Dude. Yeah, I mean he got sixty seven I think last year. Yeah, in seventy something games. Yeah, I mean like he you know he he's you know outdoing Patrick literally, yeah. and then you throw in Nick Suzuki. I mean like Nick Suzuki is like a you know potentially a future Patrice Bergeron for us. Yeah, one for one Patrick for Suzuki is still unfair in my head. Yeah, I would have done that. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's you know it, it's so good to see. Again, Mark Bergevin has foresight and strong foresight. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I'm going to paint the environment around this trade a little bit too. Yeah. We weren't supposed to get all this. Like, this was, we were getting to the point in October now with Pacioretty where, like, everyone knew that he was basically, like, out. Yeah, right? well, during the draft, we thought so, even it would exactly. just be Pacioretty for someone's first. Yeah, exactly. That was we, it. Yeah, we thought maybe we were going to get the, um, yeah, the next uh, first, but, you know, that environment was just building up more toxicity and more toxicity to the point where, you know, I specifically remember myself anyway, I was getting a little pissed off because I thought what was going to end up happening was we we're going to have this insanely talented guy, you know, very high caliber score. I mean, he's a 40 goal scorer uh, in his prime, 37, I think he had with us. And then I thought we were just going to get scraps basically because yeah. I thought we were, we, we waited way too long, but you know, at the time, this kind of looked like that. Yeah, well, it extent. looked like scraps. It looked like a healthy scratch, a prospect, and a pick. Yeah, but, but what it turned know. out to be is our point leader, our future center, first uh, first line center, and a, and I mean the second round pick. I believe we traded away, but anyway, either way. Yeah, great, great trade. Just a great trade. Good yeah. vision. Uh, another good vision trade would be trading uh, Renat Valiev and Matt Tarmina for Brett Kulak. Yeah, two for one. Uh, two guys who are AHL players uh, for Brett Kulak. And, I mean, not everyone's a Brett Kulak fan, but on this podcast we are. Yeah, I, lo- I love Brett Kulak. I mean, um, I'll jump in here first just because I, I definitely, of the two of us, we both love Brett Kulak, but I think he has a special place in my heart. I, you know, I, I can recognize effort on the ice, uh, and Brett Kulak 
you know, has effort on the ice. I mean, the guy, you could tell game to game how bad he wants it. Um, you know, he'll do what he's told again. Uh, you could tell he wants to learn from every situation. He's always on the iPad on, on the bench. Um, he's always talking with, with coaches. Um, you know, just a really hard worker. I think he had a bit of a... Um, he wasn't given the respect he deserves, I don't think, in Calgary. Like, I think he, you know, again, just a poor fit. You know, not necessarily anything against Calgary or anything against Kulak there. It's just, you know, sometimes you have these mismatches and you just need a change of environment. And, you know, I think Montreal, you know, really gave him a shot. And, you know, not one of those shots where it's like, here's 10 games with third-line minutes. Go show me what you can do. You know, like, we actually invested in him. Yeah, he played a couple of games with Weber, even. Yeah, we, we, we taught him how we play D. And, you know, it takes a little while, especially for defensemen, to kind of learn the system, just like we saw with Edmondson in the first few games. I mean, obviously, Edmondson's a, you know, a bit of a caliber up, so he learns a bit quicker. But, you know, Kulak is underrated in the corners i mean offensively he he gets up in the corners he you know and he's always back uh i really like him paired with romanov like at least for a little bit now Mm -hmm. until romanov kind of builds up because obviously romanov's uh, ceiling is much much higher but you know i think this is a pretty good pairing they're kind of like the uh, dynamic duo no absolutely i really do like them together Um, what do you think of it honestly I, i think you nailed it on the head i don't have much else to say i would say I really like it because he reminds me of a lot of defensemen on the Canadians, specifically, like we've mentioned before, Jeff Petrie. I think this is a left-handed kind of Jeff Petrie light. And, yeah, I, I really, like, that. that's exactly how I feel about him. I just think he's a workhorse. I think he was given, you know, a seventh defenseman role in Calgary and then played like a seventh defenseman. You know, when we had him bouncing in and out of the lineup, he didn't play well. The second we gave him a permanent spot, he thrives. Yeah. So I've I've nothing but good thing to say about Kulak. Great, you know, value too at the contracts that we have him since we've got him, and yeah, I can't complain, especially for what we gave up to get him. Guys who would never touch the ice in the Bell Center, I'm fine with that. Um, so the 2018-2019 season, uh, we'd finished with a record of 44, 30, and eight. Uh, that'd be best uh, for fourth in the Atlantic Division. Like we said, Max Domi was our point leader with 72 points in 82 games. And we would miss the playoffs, though. So it was looking better. You know, it's not 29 wins anymore. We're into the 40s. But we missed the playoffs again, so that's a bit of a bitter taste. Yeah, that was a very marginal miss, though, I yes. think, right? I mean, I think that was one of the years where it was kind of um, not political. It's not the right word, but... It was basically due to a, you know, a couple a of divisions. Yeah, there was, there was, was a, a 96 few... point season. That's normally good. For yeah, there playoffs. was a few divisions where, like, you know, for example, in Dallas, they they made it with like 88 points or exactly. something like that. We just, that year, we just had a very, very strong. It was strong a technicality. Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's a bit of a bitter taste, but um, it was promising. That's, yeah. that's the one thing you have to, like, take from that season is promising future. Um, okay, so then the 2019 2020 season. There's just two draft picks I want to mention, and it's the first and second round picks we took. So our first round pick, Cole Caulfield, 15th overall. Um, I have my personal concerns as to why he slipped to 15th, but I still think that's a great pick. You know, the way he's developed could make it the steal of the draft. And the other pick is Jaden Struble in the second round. We'll get into him in a little bit, but let's talk about Caulfield a little more. Um, How did you feel about that? You know, I think that was kind of a... Uh, you know, a, a pushback to homeostasis a little bit just because it's kind of the opposite with what happened with Kakiniemi. Like, you know, Kakiniemi, we could have traded up 
got him around 10th, maybe a few extra pieces. With Caulfield, you know, he was supposed to go 8th, you know, 7th, 8th, 9th, uh, and he slipped down, which, you know, Jesse will speculate on in a, in, a, in a second. But, you know, I think he's, you know, I think he, he's going to be what he's touted to be. I, I'm a little bit worried, again, why he slipped. Um, you know, he didn't have an extremely impressive World Juniors um, this year. But, you know, I think he's just, um, he's rounding out his game in, in the U.S. right now. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see him have a little bit more of a defensive upside because uh, when we drafted him, it, it was like basically the guy can put the puck in the net and like literally nothing else. Yeah. So I'm going to have my hot take on Cole Caulfield. Um, Cole Caulfield will not be an elite player in the NHL. He'll be a very good player. Um, I just, I have a very hard time believing that the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th GMs all got it wrong completely. What about Pasternak? What about... I understand. I just think that, you know, Pasternak didn't... (laughs) I I just think you don't think that we could see it. (laughs) I know, no, that's fair. Yeah, which I kind of agree with you on. I I just, I think that, it's, my, my take on it is that, you know, especially with how deep that draft was and how, you know, strong scouting in general is across the NHL, especially in the top 10, you kind of have an idea, you know, like teams get punished for it, of course, but there's there's a couple risers and a couple falls that don't make very much sense to me. But yeah, I think that Cole Caulfield will be definitely a top six player in the NHL. I just, I'm not on this train that he's going to be a first line 40 plus goal scorer every single year. And, you know, I think he'll basically, he'll, he'll definitely pan out. I'm not, I don't want to worry anyone here, (laughs) but I think that it's very, very hard to convince me that that many GMs weren't willing to take a risk because, you know, if we, I'm sure if we go back at the draft and we look at who went before him, there wasn't any, oh yeah, obviously that guy moments. Yeah. I think what, you know, to double down on what you're saying, I, I think what's even more worrisome with Cole Caulfield is that, you know, well, for one, you know, the Habs do a lot of things right, but scouting is not one of them. Like that scouting is one of those things where, you know, I would kind of look around your neighbors and see what they're thinking. Uh, and for a guy to drop, you know, like seven, eight positions, clearly there's something up, but primarily what worries me the most about it um especially when when, I, when a guy drops like that is if you look at cole caulfield's stats you're like what the hell are they thinking yeah which means that they're we're missing something vital because like if you look at cole caulfield's stats back during the draft like you would look at the guys in seventh to eighth like you said all the way up to our position and be like what are you smoking that you didn't take this guy well i'll just i have them in front of me now i'll list off the guys who went from eighth to 14th it was philip broberg trevor zegris vasily podkolzin victor soderstrom matthew boldy spencer knight and cam york so by my count that's three defensemen a goalie and the rest are forwards so i mean look i understand florida taking a goalie uh they didn't have anyone down the pipeline so they just they took the goalie because they needed the goalie um does Philadelphia really need Cam York, given they have, you know, probably one of the most offensively gifted blue lines in general throughout the NHL? Probably not. Um, does Edmonton really need a Broberg? I mean, 
that's that's a good pick in my opinion. But if we're you know there's there's guys who, I don't know like does Arizona really need like a Soderstrom or would they rather a sniper? Yeah, they you know and just to double back on my point there, I mean when I say that it worries me because if you look at his stats and you're like what are you guys smoking? I mean, the year prior to his draft, like. Wasn't he goal per game? Uh, yeah. L- listen to this. 64 games played, 72 goals, and 100 <laughs> points. Well, there you okay? go. Okay, so there's clearly something we're missing. Unless, like, you know, for some reason, you know, we learned, you know, in the last 10 years, something every other team doesn't. And, like, uh, you know, but you look back from, you know, where Jesse and I started this podcast at, you know, our history of drafting isn't too good and it wasn't good before the years we were covering no, exactly <laughs> so like you know i i think uh you know there's something up yeah so i mean that's the thing i just i think we need to take it easy on the we drafted the next patrick it's Kane. those it's those fucking development camp it's no, that, I know. It's that it's, development team in the states they travel so place stupid. to place just absolutely wiping the floor with these teams yeah and it and makes it them all look good. everyone's stats look at ryan paling yeah well look at jack hughes he's, he's playing well now but they touted him as like almost the next Wayne Gretzky the way he was playing. Yeah, I mean, like even you know, yeah, exactly. Like, and all those players that go through that basically always have this bad first year because they come in having dominated. Yeah. And then they get to even their first year of college and it's rough. I mean, look, Caulfield's playing great, but like, I just don't think that he's like again. He's being compared to obviously because he's undersized, Patrick Kane. I don't think that's a fair comparison. No, I'm... I think it's fair comparison maybe with Alex DeBrinkett, another Blackhawk, but I I don't know. I, I just think especially, you know, I think he'll be, like I said, top six role, probably a first line winger, but for those of you who play like NHL 21, he's a high top six potential. He's not a medium elite. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I get kind of, uh, you know, worried with that, with that fall, but yeah, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean... It could be a steal. I hope I'm wrong. I'll yeah. put it that way. And but then, he, he's the definition of a guy that like we do not put in the AHL. No, exactly. Yeah. I would not have him in the AHL. And I you know, I'll be happy if I'm wrong and I hope he proves me wrong, but like this is a this is a project. This is yeah. a wait and see. But again, like I'll be ha- obviously it sounds kinda of stupid. I'll be happy if he's you know, you know, forty five goals a year. But at the same time, like I almost hope he's not. I hope he's more in that 35-40 range because, like, I really don't want to start this thing where we're paying a winger 11 mil. Like, I, I agree. I just don't want to start doing that. So, uh, you know, we got a lot of talent coming up, and uh, I don't think there would be 11 mil for Cole Caulfield, if no. he, even if he did score 45 goals a yeah, year. Yeah, definitely not. And just to very lightly touch on why I have Jaden Struble up there, one, it's to show that we hit again in the early rounds, but two... He is probably the most athletic player we've ever drafted. So yeah. He just destroyed every single fitness test. And he's a big defenseman. Like, he plays strong. So I was just happy that we drafted this guy. I also, I'm fairly sure he and Jordan Harris play together now, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll jump into the contracts of that year. So Ugh, I, don't even want, I, don't even want, <laughs> I don't even want to talk about Mike Riley. Yeah, yeah there's, so Mike Riley getting two I, years. God, I, I can't stand that guy. 1.5 mil per year. I think that was, we were still figuring out our blue line. Yeah, that, that Mike Riley is, you know, I, I like Druin now. Like, I like Jonathan Druin. But Mike Riley was 
you know, the reason I disliked him was the same reason I disliked Druin in 2017 was because he pretended to be something he's not. Bobby Orr? And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't mean with Druin him playing center because obviously that's the Habs issue. That's not Jonathan Druin's. But Jonathan Druin had this thing where he, you know, especially on our power play, he had to make everything look like, uh, you know, perfect. Like, yeah. like, video like game picture level. perfect video game passing behind. And, you know, he kept doing these drop passes that were just not yeah. going to anyone. But with Mike Riley... The, the confidence that this guy would handle the puck at with li- virtually, you know, the lowest skill on the ice was almost like my jaw would drop. I'd be well, like... I always I, find I, it I, funny because you want players to play with confidence, but it was he was playing with, like, arrogance. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was so arrogant, and he just... He, he would get stuffed every time, and he would just do it again next year. Yeah, shift. it was always backhand, forehand, fake to the outside. It was the same yeah, he, play over and over again, and he was just... I think we just needed a body on the blue line at that point. He was basically the giveaways of P.K. Subban with none of the talent. Like, not even yeah, a bit. Like, exactly. just none of his talent. Like, he had no offensive upside. Yeah. And, you know, just all the ta- all the giveaways. <laughs> and, like, it's just no, I'm brutal. just glad he's done. Um, now we got other... the Tweet King. Mm-hmm. We got the Tweet King. Yeah. Uh, Keith Kincaid, one year... 1.75 mil that was just to get price a backup you know i think i think at that point that was when we said goodbye to auntie niemi um <laughs> this wasn't exactly an upgrade keith kincaid um let's just call him a very good locker room presence at the very yeah most, you, know? you know i i felt for the guy just because to your tweets yeah you know i i did feel for the guy because he obviously came to montreal thinking this was like his forever home yeah you know he he came here you know, he knew he was going to play in a, you know, a great shadow with Carey Price, but he seemed to be okay with that role. Um, but he really seemed to gel well with the team, and especially in terms of, like, the social media presence, you know, with his, like, cryptic uh, emoji tweets there. <laughs> but, you know, and then the guy got a net. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, remember his first game. I was, I could, I was cringing almost. Well, yeah. It, it was so bad, his first game, that, like, you know, I was just... I felt for him because I knew what he was thinking. Yeah. You know, just, he was just like, he, he, oh, you got me there. Yeah. It's like he almost hyped himself up because of the tweets, you know, and yeah. like, it's not even like he was bragging, but he was kind of tweeting in the sense that like, he's definitely a staple here. Yeah. He's definitely here to stay. And then he goes in and lets in like six, seven goals and <laughs> his save percentage is like seven, ten or something like that. It was just, it was really bad. It was brutal. But, um, so here's a signing that... You know what I've noticed? Every time there's a very good signing in hindsight, it's polarized by the fans. And the ones that are bad, everyone's okay with. Uh, this Ben Sherratt signing, three years oh, times... Just going back to Keith Kincaid. <laughs> now I'm remembering specifically during that game when it was like the fifth or sixth goal and he was looking over at Carey Price. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is the first game I'm here to give you a fucking break. Yeah. Okay, oh, and I'm boy. already screwing you. Yeah, he's okay? looking over like, you're coming in soon, <laughs> my friend. Yeah, he's giving Claude Julien this is the uh, 10 seconds to midnight. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, God. But yeah, geez, that was a... Uh, poor Carey. He's looking over like, oh, I finally get to sit on the chair. Yeah. And he's looking over at at uh, Keith just absolutely blowing it but yeah the next signing is uh yeah Ben Sherrod three years three and a half mil per year a lot of people were upset with this because they said Ben Sherrod was a bottom pair defenseman and they forget that he was a bottom pair defenseman on the Winnipeg Jets defense who was like one of the deepest defense easily yeah. one of the best defensive uh cores in the league at the time he was playing there and so I I mean 
I'm sure we'll go into this in depth on another podcast, but like we have a theory on this one of playing defensemen together, and I'm sure we've talked about it already a little bit, that resemble each other's play style, not opposing forces. And I just love Ben Sherratt's game playing with Weber. Um, it worked out so well. I wasn't sure if they were going to play him with Petrie or not at first, but the second I saw him and Weber together, you know, they're the two towers now, and they they just feed off each other because he's a little bit of a better skater than Weber is, and he plays, you know, little even more physical. He kind of just plays Shea Weber's game that Shea Weber played five years ago. Yeah. There's exactly. nothing bad I have to say about this guy. He's a force that we're not used to. Yeah, he's, you know, yeah he put up more points than I think anyone expected. He had a career year with Montreal, as did many players. But, uh, yeah, he was just a great sign. Yeah, he's seemingly unkillable. I mean, like, he, he he's like he's built out of steel, this guy. Uh, you know, easily one of my favorite players on the Habs. Just because from his attitude alone, you know, you could just tell he wants to be there. He knows his role. Uh, he's gelled well with Weber, which is really important. Um, and most importantly, he clears the goddamn net. Yeah. We had the oh. biggest issue with this because, you know, even Weber sometimes, like, you know, he he gets a he gets a rap for really, really clearing the net. But, you know, it's mostly Sherrod. I mean, like, yeah. Sherrod, like, really keeps it clear there. Yeah. And after the whistle, Sherrod's the guy. Yeah, he's always the one dropping the gloves, too. You know, he and he's got an underrated shot. Yeah, he does. He, I mean, look, like we've said many times, he's just, he's a, He's built like a full-grown man. Yeah. He, he's a heavy dude. He can shoot the puck. Um, so the next signing I actually want to talk about is Nick Cousins. Uh, it was one year at one mil, and I really like this signing. I think this was to kind of replace Andrew Shaw. Um, Nick Cousins brought a higher offensive upside than I expected, and I remember the time he was here, he was like a fan favorite. He was putting up, like, surprisingly a bigger amount of points and goals specifically. So I, I had no problem signing Nick Cousins. I, I never have problems with one-year deals because yeah, if you're under the contract, uh, under the cap, you're under the cap. It doesn't bother me. There's no, like, outward look. So I think that was a great deal. Not much, not much I can really say about it. He was only here for a year or two, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the re-signs, basically. Um, Arturi Lekkanen getting oh, baby. two years at 2.4 and Armia getting two years at 2.6. So let's just talk about these two Finnish players together yeah. on this one. Um, I I love these contracts. Yeah, I you know I could talk about Arturi Lekkinen for for another hour. I'm so sure I'm we're gonna, gonna have an appreciation. It. Yeah, but you know Arturi Lekkinen is like, you know I think I've said it three times now, but he's easily in my top five players on the Habs. Like yeah. this guy just gets no recognition. Although we're we're starting to get it a bit from TSN. I know TSN starting to talk about Lekkinen a lot more. And how coaches love him. It started in the bubble last year. Yeah, because he hustles. Okay, you would not believe that this guy's sub one hundred and eighty pounds. Yeah, it's insane. He throws people around. Even on that dirty hit on Armia with Myers there, Lekkinen jumps in right away, headlocks Myers, takes him down to the ice. Um, You know, he hits, he forechecks. Every time you look at him, he's involved in a play so much to the point where he's just on the ice all the time. Yeah. Um, You know, he just. That's where he got his nickname from us is Chaos. Yeah, he's just Chaos Lekkanen. <laughs> like, he just, he, he slashes beyond belief. Uh, he's in, you know, and obviously, you know, down to a more technical point, his his defensive play is just unreal. I mean, he's such a staple on our on our penalty kill. Him and Dano have amazing chemistry. Um, they're really good friends on the, on the team, apparently. And, you know, 
I don't know where our penalty kill would be without Lekkonen. Oh, I couldn't imagine that. And he's got an underrated shot. Yeah, he does. He he's has got a, a very strong... Very good we drafted release. him as a sniper, which is a little you know silly to think about now. Yeah. But, but he, he does have that ability. If and we would have groomed him that way, who knows? Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot more from Lekkonen this season, maybe next season, just because uh, in, in Lekkonen's history on the Habs, I mean, it's one of his strengths, uh, but it's also his downfall in the sense that he can play anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of led coaching on the Habs to kind of, you know, basically have a different assignment for him every single night. And that doesn't lead to good development. I mean, you know, when you're playing him on, you know, fourth line left wing and then next game on second line right wing, you know, the guy doesn't get in his groove and, you know, he does have a wicked shot, but I think Arturi Lekkonen needs a bit more faith, a bit more faith from uh, coaching to kind of keep him in one spot and let him have that role. And encourage him to release. And I, I, I think that we've slowly seen them do that, too. I think yeah. he's showing that he's kind of got his comfort area on the fourth line. Who did he score against this year? Uh, was it Edmonton? I want to say Edmonton. Yeah, well, there. whoever it was, it was Edmonton or Vancouver, but what a release. Yeah, like, he has an incredible shot. release. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, we talked about Armia at length, so we don't have to really, like, say it again, because this was just a good signing again. Armia just continues to do what he does. There's just, I have no problem in... We're getting these guys at a lot cheaper than anticipated. I thought Armia's next contract was going to be closer to four, four yeah. and a half. So we'll see where it goes from there. But um, the last two contracts I wanted to mention is just to highlight, you know, my point from 2017. Hudon getting a, a one-year 800K deal, we kind of knew that was it. You know, Hudon, like, that was one more year for him to go play Laval, go kind of, like, you know, get called up, but... There, there was just no confidence. And I feel, I, like we said, we feel bad, but, you know, it is what it is. And the last signing, which was probably the most exciting for the year, was a one-year deal, 750K, Ilya Kovalchuk. And yeah. it was just cool to see him in a jersey. You know, he didn't play that many games. I think he played, like, 20 games, put up a decent amount of points, and then we moved him. But it was just cool to have him, you know, put the sweater on see how much he enjoyed it here yeah i thought he was coming back but i i guess we just we had a plan in mind yeah it just you know the thing with Ilya kovalchuk was you know i was a bit surprised with his attitude coming in i thought he was going to have a very like elitist attitude uh you know from his history on like being elite elite scorer obviously but you know he he really gelled well with the city as a whole you know people kind of took to him um, but you know, I, I didn't really understand, you know, especially some of the media buying into the fact that this guy had like a long-term history in Montreal, yeah. uh, you know, like possibly being here for the next few years. Like yeah, he's in his late 30s. Yeah. He's in his late thirties, but even beyond that, like just with our roster coming up, like, where is he going to play? You yeah. I mean, I mean like, he'd, he'd be in the bottom six and thing, if anything, like, we know that doesn't work. He has to be he, in the top exactly, six. He has to be in the top six to be productive. And also he, he needs to be like for himself, he needs to be in the spotlight. Yeah. So there's no way he would want to roll in the taxi squad with Montreal. No, definitely no chance. Um, so that's it for the contract. So there's only one trade. And so like I mentioned, we got um, Nick Cousins to replace Andrew Shaw. And the trade for Andrew Shaw, there's a couple things that stand out to me. So we traded Shaw and a 2021 seventh round pick to Chicago for a 2022nd, which was Yan Misak. Um, a 2027th, which was Chase Bradley, and a 2021 third. So, Jan Misak was probably one of those guys who we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, a great second round pick. 
Chase Bradley, again, we'll see why he's important soon, and we don't know what that 2021 third is. I think shedding Shaw, when we did, we sold him high. His contract was just shy of 4 mil per year, and uh, he was so injury-prone at that point. It, it wasn't worth the risk, and look, he, th- that year he ended up missing yeah, almost the entire year. Yeah, you know, that was a thing where it's like it was kind of bittersweet to see Andrew Shaw go. I mean, I loved his line there with Domi. Uh, you know, but with that dissolving, you know, in the near future, um, I can kind of see what Bergman was thinking. And also, you know, with how injury prone our team was, I mean, like we're talking, you know, Gallagher out, we're talking Druin out, we're talking Byron out, we're talking at points, carry Price out, Weber out, you know, we just didn't have room for a guy that was just getting concussed every, you know, you know, 20, 30 games and then, you know, opening up this huge hole for us and, uh, you know, good, good move. I think we, we sold him quite high. Definitely. And so we finished the year 31-31-9, fifth in the Atlantic Division, Thomas Tatar being our point leader with uh, 61 points in 68 games. And then, you know, due to COVID-19, we actually had a long pause, and then the playoffs came around, and we would be booted out in the first round against Philly, but it is worth noticing that that's technically a second playoff round exit because we beat Pittsburgh in the playing round. And that gave so much hope to the city because it showed just how ready we were. Uh, Suzuki and Kotkaniemi were electric in the playing round. And, you know, there's not much else we can say to it. They just, very weird to be, you know, fifth in your division of seven and make it. Yeah. And then, you but know, you got in, you got in. Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, and Price really just, you know, blew it up there. Yes, really, really too. good showing. And, you know, it, it it was tough going, you know, playing that well against Pittsburgh and playing that well against Philly and then having a few unlucky bounces. You know, there was some goals that Philly, uh, you know, pushed through price there that I was just like, that's literally just pure luck. Like yeah, that, there were just some bad bounces. And then you, you add in, you know, Gallagher's broken jaw. Um, you know, a lot of stuff happened that I think kind of rallied the city together behind this team. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of that payout now. Definitely. And so jumping into this year, um, three draft picks I want to mention is Caden Gooley at 16th overall. Uh, like I mentioned previously, Jan Misek at the second round and a third round pick in Matthias Norlander. Um, again, first round, second round, third round hits that we can project. So, I mean, Caden Gooley, that was, a you know, questionable because of the players that were still on the board, but... You know, after seeing him in the World Juniors, I like his style. I think that that's the kind of guy that will kind of fit into the Habs, you know, in the years to come. And I think he'll learn from guys like Sherrod. He'll learn from guys like Petrie and Weber. He reminds me of a very, like, uh, similar place out of Colton Pareko. And, you know, if, if we got Colton Pareko, I yeah. wouldn't be upset. So, do you have sure, anything uh, yeah. yeah, just to add to Gooley, I think... You know, I'm a little skeptical with him. I mean, I don't think the hype around him, I mean, like comparing a 15th and a 16th with Cole Caulfield and mm-hmm. Gooley, the hype around Gooley isn't even close to what it is with Caulfield. Definitely not. Uh, the potential clearly isn't there either. But, you know, with Gooley, one thing I'm worried about, especially what I saw in the World Juniors, was I think, you know, you hit it dead on with his play style. But I find he has to lean more into his play style. I find he's. You know, for a guy that supposedly, you know, was, was trucking through people in the World Juniors, saw none of it. Yeah, you know, he threw really one, saw, one hit. Really, yeah, not even, you know, not even clearing the, the net against rough games against, like, uh, you know, the U.S. and Russia. 
Um, and even Finland, like nothing really, you know, impressive in front of the net there. Uh, a little bit more offensive upside than I thought he would. We saw in, in the World Juniors, but you know, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, we have so many good defensive prospects coming up that you know we're bound to hit one, uh, you know, on the bullseye because Definitely. there's going to be a large survivorship bias there. Yeah, absolutely. And then for Jan Misek and Matthias Norlander, um, those were two guys that were covered in the prospect check-in. So uh, if you want to hear you know more deep dives, you can check it out there. But Jan Misek was really carrying that Czech Republic team. He looked great. I, I think that was an absolute steal. He reminds me a lot of like a lesser version of Tim Stutzel. And uh, Matthias Norlander is in the SHL and just out of nowhere is playing you know well beyond his years. He's just someone who... He just stands out. He's, he's such a phenomenal skater. Is he right or left? He's a lefty, too. Okay. It's about 12 lefty battling for three yeah. spots. Well, that's the thing. Is, you know, we, were, we had such a bad lefty situation. that took them all. Bergevin <laughs> literally just took them all, which you know, is a, you know, it's a questionable you know, uh, strategy. strategy, but not really if you look at our scouting history. Yeah, exactly. You know, like we got, we, we're at guarantee. a point where we're so bad at scouting that you know, I think we had to really just hedge our bets and just take them all. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So, contracts. Uh, this was a lot of interesting signings. So, Joel Edmondson, four years at three and a half mil. That's another one where people weren't sure, but so far so good. I mean, they, these guys we're going to talk about that are new additions. We don't have a big sample size, so we won't have much to say on them. But so far so good, Joel Edmondson, playing yeah. with Petrie. I mean, we've said it a million times on the Between the Whistles Petrie has a partner now, and yeah. it's just nice to see. I, that that contract reminds me a lot and how it's going to pan out with Ben Sherrod. Oh, for sure. The you dollar I mean? value is the same. The dollar value is the same, a little bit more years, but, you know, I could see that panning out basically the same as Ben Sherrod, where he, we get a lot more than people think. Yeah, ben Sherrod. Where we get, like, a lot more than people think we were going to get. Definitely. Um, yeah, so Jake Evans, two years at 750k. That's a steal. That is a steal. That is like, I, I, you know, I mean, I guess there was a prove it aspect to it, but I'm very happy that we don't have to pay him for two more years, yeah. including this one. Um, then we signed Josh Anderson to a seven-year deal at 5.5 mil. That one turned heads. Um, I think at the time people were worried but again, I don't, I don't see why. Yeah, you know? I, I think if you weren't worried, there, you know, there's at least prior to the season. Obviously, I don't think anyone's worried now. But I think if you weren't worried prior to the season, I mean, like there's something wrong with you, just because, yeah. you know, the injury status on this guy with a shoulder, you know, questions about, you know, how many games per season is this guy gonna play realistically if his shoulder's chronically injured. Uh, but it seemed to be more of a like, a, you know, surgery rehab, get it done, and he should be good to go. Which clearly that's the case right now. Uh, knock on wood but you know hindsight that is a very good contract and judging by the way he's playing right now this could be very good for us in two or three years Definitely. when we're you know looking to sign possibly suzuki to you know a very very large contract and we have guys that are as crucial as josh anderson for very cheap yeah and then shout out to him too because he's killing it in fantasy for us yeah so uh, there's that um okay moving on to uh, another big ufa signing uh tyler Tapoli. That one might be my favorite contract. Yeah, that is a... That is... I mean, I look, I know he's not going to be over point uh, per game forever, but yeah. and that's a very good point. He That does remind me of the Gallagher signing. A Just a, you know, you know what you're getting with him, and then he explodes. I yeah. think 
he's just such a perfect fit here and 4.25 mil for four years that's that's electric like that is yeah. just i love that deal i have nothing else to say about it he's gonna be very good for his whole time here and i'm glad he's here i've yeah. been wanting him we for really needed that you know just really great player all around next we have uh jake allen two-year deal at 2.875 million finally a guy to back up carry price i mean knock on wood again but i didn't get the same vibes as him and ned as i did with old keith no definitely and, uh, not he uh he looks like a goalie yeah i think you know i think a lot of those nerves that we're talking about with between the whistles you know comes behind playing a guy like carry price knowing he's watching you uh you know playing for a team as historical as the habs you know i think it's very reasonable for the first five or so minutes of, of the of the first few games for him to be a little shaky. Of course. Um, It'd be weird if he wasn't. Exactly. And, you know, but, you know, statistically, he's playing how we need him to play. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, like, maybe, uh, you know, that'll come to bite us in the ass. But I, I don't think it will. Right. And then the last UFA signing is Corey Perry at 750k for a year. And I think there's not a person in the hockey world that thinks that's a bad signing. Uh you know, Corey Perry, we've we've praised him a lot already on the podcast, but, you know, just showing his two points in two games, he's playing his role, and we just sent him back down to the taxi squad. He's going to do that every few games, just come in when someone's hurt, put up some points, win some games, yeah, and get out. that's exactly It's what, ideal. Yeah, we were saying that. I, I forget if we said it on the last podcast. Yeah, but we were, actually. Yeah, I think Perry's position is going to be best coming up every few games, having these good stints with us where he scores a few goals gets a few points and then goes back down and you know armia bumps back up and you know i didn't see him being as good of a uh, full season type of guy and i think that's what uh, mark burge may sees as well i think he's better off in like you know uh you know it is a, a you know only two games isn't isn't great but you know two to five games you know uh or maybe like a series at mm-hmm. a time i could see that working really well but um you know great signing 750k for a guy that you know obviously still has a ton of offensive upside um you know great on the penalty on the power play um and really ties that line together you know well you know and i don't really see a line where he wouldn't really fit in yeah he just he's an all-around just yeah he's a legend too so it's just it's good teamwork it's good leadership it's everything and then so there's three re-signings I wanted to just kind of mention briefly. It's the Jeff Petrie one, four years at 6.25 mil. Uh, Gallagher, that magic six years at 6.5 mil. And then Victor Mete at a year for 735k. So I don't think anyone is debating that the Petrie signing is a bad signing. He's a fine wine. Every year he gets better. Um, Gallagher was due for a payday, and it wasn't as big as I expected it to be, so... Mm-hmm. I'm happier than that. Six shows me it's a trust thing. And for me, the Victor Mete signing, I was elated. Yeah. Under a mil, I thought that we were going to get, you know, basically armbarred by this guy's agent into signing him to like, you know, 1.8 mil, 2.2 mil. And I was so happy to see that we didn't pay him out. I mean, that's a great contract to qualify next year and then make available to Seattle. Um, there's just so much about it that I like, you know, is finally kind of realizing that Victor Mete isn't Nick Lindstrom. Yeah. And he got paid what he was owed because yeah. I'm pretty sure that was a decrease in pay. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Yeah. But 
you know, with this guy's production, I just don't see what he could have negotiation-wise, like uh, chips on his side. I mean, he had nothing to really put on the table. I mean, you know, we gave him the minutes. We gave him the D partners. Just, you know, just, I mean, hopefully for his sake, it's just a fit thing, but I don't think it is. (laughs) No, I I think he'll just be a very, very, very average bottom pair defenseman. And if if I'm wrong... Go and join but, team. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> from an outsider's perspective, obviously, I'm you know not a professional hockey player, but I think you know he'll be best served and he'll do best if he embraces his role on the team. Absolutely, that yeah. goes for any NHL yeah. player. Um, so then there's three trades I just want to mention. Uh, it's actually three guys that we mentioned in the signings: Allen, Edmondson, and Anderson. How do we get them all? It was all through trade. Mark Bergevin was making just perfect trades this yeah, year. So this year it seems like mark bergman could do no wrong yeah this was a really good uh trade year for us we got jake allen uh, a 2022 seventh from st louis for a 2023rd which ended up being uh dylan peterson a 2020 seventh which ended up you know like jesse was saying chase bradley um and then we got joel edmondson from carolina for um a 2025th which ended up being ben Meehan. um and then the big one yeah, the big one being Josh Anderson from Columbus for Max Domi in a 2023rd, which was Sam Knazko or Nazco. Um, they're just all hits. I don't know how yeah. else to put it. Edmondson worked out already. Allen proved it worked already. Anderson worked already. And look what we... So if you... I, I mean, Anderson doing... worked already is an understatement. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, incredible for us right now. Well, there you, And, you know, I like seeing those tables of... You know, pieces moving out and pieces moving in. So if we just for this year alone look at it, the pieces that moved out were a third, a seventh, a fifth, a third, and Domi. Yeah. So it's just a bunch of mid to late round picks and Max Domi. The things that came in, Jake Allen, a seventh, Joel Edmondson, and Josh Anderson. That just, when you put it all together like that, I find people, like, it, it, it just stands out how much of a win that is. And, you know, it's showing its, you know... It is a win so far because as it stands right now, Montreal's 5-0-2. We're second in the North Division, but that's strictly off of games played. Yeah, Toronto has more games played right now. Um, but, you know, more importantly, like, you know, there's 17 shorthanded goals, like we were saying, in the NHL. Montreal has five of them. Uh, and also, we're I think we're first in scoring in the NHL. I believe so. We're definitely, yeah, yeah I think so, yeah. And... You know, Tyler Toffoli's our point leader as it stands right now in nine points in seven games. Obviously, the playoffs, it's to be decided, but at the rate we're going and how short the season is, it, it looks like we're going to have yes, a good Yes, I year. mean, something would have to go catastrophically wrong for yeah. us not to... Where's you know... some wood? Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. But yeah, that basically sums up Mark Bergman's career with the Habs. Um I think overall we can say it's been a net positive, yeah. and I think each year on its own has been a net positive. I think people harp a little bit too much on the negatives, and I think the moves he made were good moves. The results of each year, maybe not, but you know, if we were to win the cup this year, everything would be forgiven. Yeah, the Habs think... fans would be so happy that he did everything he did. And, you know, each year rolls over to the next. So it really is just a domino effect. Yeah, I, I think just like everything in Montreal, like, however long they tell you it's going to take, just double it. Because, <laughs> like, you know, the five-year plan, it's going to be more like the 10-year plan. But I think we're finally there. You know, this lineup is, you know, really scary if, you, if you're, if you a, you know, not a Habs fan. Uh, 
deep as hell team. And young. Young, you know, even we, we still have guys coming up the pipe that can literally just change the face of the abs. Um, you know, so can, I just got to give him kudos. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, I shouldn't have doubted him in 2016. You know, you, you have to, you have to have faith in your GM because they know things that, you know, the outsiders don't. And also you can't, you have to follow the plan through because if you just keep chopping it halfway through and changing up GMs, you're never going to actually get to someone's vision. You have to like let them do their thing, and um, I'm glad Molson did that for for Mark. Absolutely, Bergeron. and so if we can just speak directly to Mark Bergeron <laughs> for a second, um, if this ever does get to the point where we can have him on the podcast, I just want to say you know we'd we'd love to speak to him and we'd love to get his insight on you know things he's done now in hindsight as well, not just the moves we're talking about this year. But I'd love to see what's kind of like inside the mind of a genius somewhat because, <laughs> and you know, he definitely has made some moves that I, I don't think anyone else would have even tried. So yeah. big shout out to Mark Bergevin. Thank also, you for building uh, this team. And do you, do you, I find one thing specifically with Mark Bergevin is he, he, he uh, either trades or drafts very good character guys. Yes, absolutely. It's well you know? going back to his attitude speech. Yeah, that's everything. He doesn't Every- care if you could score forty goals. If you're a locker room cancer, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, like, like, he's not gonna sign you. Just look at Kulak, Tatar, Suzuki. Uh, you know, Sherrod. Uh, you know, Anderson. We're like Toffoli. All the Edmondson. All these guys right now are. You know, you look at them on the ice. They're having fun getting along with the other teammates the teammates exactly yeah, and it's just it's gelling well and then he basically ships out everyone who's just not gelling well i mean suvan patcheretti i don't think he has to to be honest i think that he's made such a positive culture on the team that it just rejects people who don't want to be there yeah and so yeah i think that about sums it up we have a game tomorrow night so i'm excited for that round yeah. two versus calgary so we'll catch you guys on that one